Mortis Maledictum is a cosmic dark fantasy story, and as such may contain content not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. If you enjoy Mortis Maledictum, please join our Patreon page and our Discord community to connect with us and gain access to exclusive content. The links are down below. Now, enjoy the show. We find ourselves here, at the beginning. Another tale. Another chapter. The whiskey bit hard and sharp. The mixture swallowed in his gut as his head pounded, a thrumming beat against the insides of his skull. Gwen O'Connell took the glass and held it up to the mid-morning light streaming in through the Edinburgh pub's window. Someone eased onto the stall next to him. I expected you to be quite a bit harder to find than this, said a woman's voice. I'm not signing autographs, and I'm not about to spout off a bunch of nonsense so you can throw me to all those worthless doctors, Quinn replied. His voice was dry and annoyed. It was as though he had heard the same greeting a dozen times, because he had. What do you mean? The woman asked. Lady, Quinn grumbled. You either think I'm crazy, or some kind of messiah. I've seen plenty of both over the last few months, and I'll tell you, I'm neither. Let's just save ourselves a bunch of time and skip to the part where you give up and walk away disappointed. The woman looked somewhere between confused and affronted. I... you... She started before taking a breath to try again. I don't think you're crazy, Mr. O'Connell, and you're certainly no messiah, but you may be able to help me with a problem I'm having with a book. This wasn't the response Quinn had become accustomed to, and he raised an eyebrow and his glass at the same time. He threw back the dregs of his whiskey and groaned as it burned down his throat. A what book? It's called The Tales Beyond Calais. Quinn, properly interested now, turned in his seat to take his first proper look at the woman. She was tall and well-muscled with dark hair and dark eyes. Every bit of her clashed with Quinn's own bright red hair and freckles. Who are you? He asked finally. Sometimes I get a bit ahead of myself, she said. My name is Ari. I'm in the collections department of the Smithsonian Occult Research Center, or SORC. So, you're a librarian? Quinn asked. I'm more of a retrieval specialist. And do retrieval specialists typically get to spend a lot of time in the gym? Quinn was trying to crack a joke, poorly, to make up for the awkwardness of his first question. By the look on Ari's face... It didn't work, and she gave him the same expression he had when she first walked up. It was the, I've heard this one a thousand times, expression. Sometimes we have issues in reacquiring certain volumes, she said, and left it at that. Quinn sidestepped the conversation back to the topic at hand, before he dug himself in a bigger hole. What's so important about this book? It's had a dark history. And no one really knows where it came from. One of our librarians from several hundred years ago found it in the cellar of a tower in Calais. Hence the name. Quinn's mind flashed back several months to his trek through the Peruvian forest and shivered. That had been where all his troubles originated. Now, he had to tread carefully lest the Chilochiki slip back to the fore. It was always there, straining for him to set it loose. He fingered the jade ring on his right hand. There was a power there in the small band. Quinn didn't understand it, but it kept the words there 
and the Chilochiki gone. Why do you think I can help? He asked, fearing Ari's answer. The Smithsonian has heard of your recent work. After all the research I've done, I haven't found anything to help read the book. She shifted and pulled out a photocopy of a photocopy of a poor transcription of a page of the book. The image was grainy, and it was instantly obvious the transcriber's motions were unfamiliar with the lettering depicted. This is a sample. I was wondering if you could make any sense of it. Quinn took the paper from Ari and flattened out the paper's creases where she had folded it in her pocket. He leaned over to take a proper look at the words. Editor's preface, he read aloud. Herein contains the account of tales both mystical and terrifying. The origin of the words is unknown as is their author, but are written as though through a philosopher's lens. That is until the final two entries, which appear more as appendices written by separate hands. One regards the finding of the tome, and the other tells of a future apocalyptic episode in which... Why did you stop? Ari asked, almost frantic. She'd been writing and copying in English as fast as she could while Quinn dictated. That's all there is, Quinn replied, handing the paper back to her. So, did I pass your little test? We need to get on a plane, Ari answered. She slapped a fistful of money down on the bar. This should pay off your tap, she said, and got up to leave. Not so fast, Quinn said. His chalochiki was screaming in his head and straining to get out when he saw the letters. You put down enough bills to pay five times as much booze as I've drunk. Quinn reached over the bar and grabbed a fresh, unopened bottle of Powers Irish and pulled the cork. Those words are dangerous. There's no way I'm doing this sober. He took a heavy draw of the liquid as the pair stepped out onto the pub's cobblestone porch. So, where's the rest of this book? He asked. That's just it. I don't know yet. You're going to have to run the bummy again, Liz. If you don't have it, where is it? Quinn asked as the pair walked down the sidewalk. They didn't know where they were heading, but Ari seemed to move with a monstrous will. Don't call me Lars. I'm 104. Second, there are a lot of retrieval specialists, and when I get the call to reclaim a volume, it is usually because one of the scholars has lost something quite precious. Ari answered. Her stride picked up even more and looked to be restraining herself from breaking out into a full-on run. It didn't take a genius to realize she was worried, and more than a little vexed. The two made a corner, and Ari pulled out a key fob from her pocket. She clicked it once, and a white Alfa Romero's headlights flashed. Looks like the library pays pretty well, Quinn observed. Ari climbed in, shrugging back at him. Not so much. But when you've lived as long as most of our members, you can afford to save up. Speaking of which... When I said my age, you didn't bat an eye. My file on you says you are one of the skeptics, she said, pushing the alpha into first and stamping her foot to the floor. It was Quinn's turn to shrug. After the stuff I've seen the last few months, I'm more than willing to take things at face value than the skeptics. Quinn grabbed hold of the door handle to keep himself upright as Ari took one of the tight Edinburgh corners in fourth gear, which she had almost instantly shifted up to from a standing start. Ari hit a button on her steering wheel. The car's Bluetooth started ringing. Dispatch. A voice said. I need a jet, fueled, at Edinburgh. I'm ten minutes out. He could greet it, I take it? Yes, he could. And he can hear you. There was a pause before the voice said. You might have mentioned that at the start. The call ended, and Quinn looked over at Ari. She shrugged. She doesn't get out much. Human contact isn't really her thing anymore. If Quinn thought the librarians were an odd bunch, 
He wisely kept his mouth shut. But it easily could have been to keep his stomach down from all of Ari's wild twists and turns. The car maneuvered beautifully, and despite Quinn's best efforts and nausea, her skill enthralled him. How did you get so good at this? You should be on a circuit, not stuffed in a musty library, he said. Ari glanced sideways at him. First, the SORC isn't musty. Second, it helps that I've got these streets memorized. I used to be based out of Edinburgh before they moved me to collections. So, if there's a library here, why are we getting on a plane? Quinn asked. There's a branch here, but we aren't going to the Smithsonian. We know the book is somewhere in Paris, and we're going to use you to find it. It turned out Ari had a private plane waiting for her and Quinn, who had never flown on one before, realized travel was much quicker when you didn't have to deal with large airports. One short, comfortable plane ride later, the pair arrived at an empty hangar on the outskirts of Paris. From there, a car service picked them up and within ten minutes, Quinn stared down at a floating purple crystal pulling away from his neck. Ari had tied it around his neck and almost immediately, the thing swung around to point out the window. It's working! She called to the driver in the front seat. Great, where are we going? They called back. No idea, but turn left. We're getting this book back today. According to Ari, Paris looked completely different from the last time she was there. She was a wealth of knowledge, and might have held Quinn wrapped in attention to her stories if he wasn't wrestling against the Chalochiki the whole time. Finally, after hours of twists and turns, the car pulled up to a worn brick house. Ari got out immediately, and when Quinn followed her, his vision swam and fizzed. He'd stepped out of the car into a humid afternoon, but it was something different, an extra sense that warned him the words were close at hand. I can't believe it! This... It's Marie and Pierre Curie's home. Ari said in the breathless awe. Quinn gripped the edge of a light pole next to the stream to steady himself. How did the book get here? He asked. Ari shook her head, not turning to look at him. Her eyes were locked on the well-kept house in front of her. Newton checked it out and left it back to us in his will. We never received it. She stepped up to the door and rapped twice. There was a long pause, and then an older woman appeared. Gwen couldn't hear what they said. It was a struggle just to remain upright. The closer they had gotten to the house, the worse he had felt. And now he could barely stand. The Chilochiki was practically screaming at him to leave this place and run to the far corners of the earth. There was something special and vitally dangerous about the book they had come to retrieve. The old woman stepped aside and let them in. She led them into a back room stacked floor to ceiling with heavy leather trunks. The blood pounded in Quinn's ears, and even in the confines of the small room, he could not hear what Ari and the woman were saying. He stumbled forward into the room, pulled along by the crystal still dangling from his neck. They would need to search the entire room, or even a segment. Quinn could almost see the book through the solid trunk in front of him, and it looked as though everything in the world were vibrating and a static hiss flooded the ambience. Only the silhouette of the heavy book, wrapped in a cloth and buried in the recesses of this room, stood still. And quiet. Ari reached out and put a hand on Quinn's shoulder. Are you alright? She asked, but Quinn couldn't answer. His eyes shot red and his hands trembled. Quinn? Quinn! Ari prodded, but still, he couldn't answer. Then, as though an orchestra completed their crescendo, the pain subsided, the vibration ceased, and the words lost bubbled forth from Quinn's lips. The effect was instantaneous. 
The book shook from its confines with such force, it broke the small lock on the trunk and pushed the ones in front of it out of the way. Quinn held out his hand, and the heavy tome latched onto him like a magnet. Its cover split open, and the pages slitted past in a wave. The world drained away, and Quinn felt himself flying through eons of history, meticulously recorded by its author. No, more than that. Authors. He felt the hands of those who had put ink to the parchment in the distant past. There was more written here than originally intended. There was a deep knowledge he couldn't decipher, but then the latter entries which flooded past his eyes in a desperate haze, he saw snapshots of events and people and places. There was a crumbling tower by the sea, a witch buried under a tree, a scientist scribbling madness by candlelight, mathematical and scientific symbols Quinn couldn't place, and then finally, the scene before his eyes went white. There were carriages on the street. It was still most undoubtedly Paris, and it was the same road where Ari and Quinn had parked. The trees looked younger, but the smell of the place reeked of mould and wet mud and coal fires. Quinn saw a ghost of a man, so thin almost to the point of malnourishment, looking down at a package in brown paper. Someone had leaned it up against the door of a house. Marie, have you seen this? We have a parcel. I think it is the book. A woman with short curly brown hair appeared next to the man a second later, and she too looked down at the package. Well, pick it up. Let's have a look. She replied in heavy, accentuated French. The scene changed before Quinn's eyes, as though moving to the next entry in the journal. Now there was a long laboratory table, covered with papers and rudimentary electrodes. It was in a different part of the city, as far as he could tell from the changing sounds and clean smell. It was late, and the thin man poured over the open book, sitting on one end of the table. The woman came in and put her arms around his shoulders, leaning over to look at the open page. Any luck, love? She asked. The man, who Quinn guessed was Pierre Curie, shook his head. None of the simple mechanicians, and they seem to change. I cannot find any semblance of keywords or common phrases to use as a basis. Come home. You can work on it more in the morning she said, and together the pair put out the light and left. The scene shifted again, and once more Quinn found himself at the Curie's Paris home. This time there was only enough time for the room barely to come into focus. Pierre sat in bed with the light on, reading from the book, his eyes wide. He flipped a page, and then another. His mouth opened slightly at what he saw, and Quinn glanced down at his fingers where they had touched the paper. The tips were tinged green. Monsieur... I have it, Pierre exclaimed, and the scene went black. There was a pause here, and Quinn was unsure what was coming next. Here he stood in dark silence, and wondered what was the point of showing him these scenes, and what the magic wanted from him. A question appeared in his mind, and he spoke it aloud to the ether. What was that green stain? It was as though the book were waiting for Quinn to understand something, come to a conclusion, or make a miraculous realization. Nothing happened and Quinn absently twisted his jade ring, both worried and relieved that Chilochiki was not wrestling him now. It uses the words, but they are not its to write. I have banished it. The voice of a rock slide and a volcano flowed through Quinn's mind, resonating against his soul, and he froze. 
It was pure, unaltered tectonic will, coursing out of the book. What is happening? Who are you? Quinn asked into the dark. The voice answered from everywhere at once, in such a tone as though gravity itself was speaking. I am the written creation of one who has watched worlds burn and empires fall. The book. You are the book? Quinn asked. I am the Jade. Brought from outside and splintered into your world. You wear me on your hand and hide within the parchment of this tome. Quinn had to press his hands against his temples. The pressure of the voice in his mind was so great. What do you mean, corrupted? There is one from outside reality who has slithered in. It seeks the end, and it has worked to cause it here. Why in all the plains of Tin and Nog did I agree to this utter garbage mission? Quinn muttered to himself. The gods below cannot help you, said the Jade Pages. It was rhetorical. What corrupted you? What was it called? The pages answered in a hiss of white noise. Background static from creation. Fine, don't answer me. What do you want then? I did not answer because I do not know. You will carry the knowledge and the words. They must be preserved. Then, with no warning, the pain in Quinn's temples became a hurricane and a whipping rain of words and images and power swirled around him in streaks of shining green rivers of jade. The storm picked him up and flung him through the space, battering him against the writhing mass. And just like before, everything went black. Queen! Ari's voice sounded distant and pitched down with an odd resonance. He blinked, fluttering his eyes open. Quinn was lying on the carpeted floor of the back of the room with Ari kneeling over him. She shook him, and he saw her lips moving, trying desperately to tell him something, but he couldn't hear. He tried to sit down, but it felt like there was a lead weight pressing down on his chest. Quinn was lying on his back, and he saw papers fluttering around the room and spiral bouncing off the ceiling. He thought it was strange and focused on it. Something in his mind clicked into place. And he finally came back to his senses. Quinn! The book is heating up! It's practically glowing! We've got to get out of here! Ari shouted at him. The Irishman grunted and turned over onto his hands and knees. With effort, Quinn pushed himself upright. The book sat in the center of the room, emitting so much heat its pages glowed, and set small sparking flickers off of the carpet where the binding touched the ground. It was pulling him towards it, and it took everything he had to stay where he was. I can't move! He cried out. What's it doing? She asked. Quinn didn't know how to tell her what he had just experienced, nor what was going on then. All he could do was read the words on the open page in front of him. The silver wrought a working upon this vital tome, which Jade brought for the power to reek into this home. The trap once sprung contains you, your wings, cannot escape. Your power now betrays you. Too much to spend without it. 
Let the flooded knowledge end you. Only empty. You would have been safe. What does that mean? Ari asked. She had to shout over the crescendo of noise. The book was almost too bright to look at, and Quint shielded his eyes from it. It means, because I can read it, I'm stuck. It means you can still get out of here, he said. No, come on, we have to shut it down. It'll detonate the entire block if its magic releases now. It's releasing power, someone has to hold it. That's the only way there is. The mantle must be taken. Ari looked around in shock. Quinn knew what it was. He was already infected with the words. This at least would let him do something with them. Let me take the mantle! I will take it! I don't have any of its power in me! That's what it says, right? If I'm empty, I could be safe! The ground cracked around the book as though it was suddenly 50 tons, not 50 ounces. Everything from the house's foundations upward shook. I couldn't leave if I wanted to. It's a trap, and the words in my head sprang it. I'll try to contain as much of the blast as I can, but get out of here and get everyone as far away from this house as you can. Ari paused here, locking eyes with Quinn. Finally, and almost imperceptibly, she nodded. Ari jumped up and ran from the room. He could just hear her yelling instructions out the open door at the front of the house. But then Quinn's attention was forced back into the room. The book was close to its limit. What do I need to do? Quinn called to the empty room. The mantle must be taken. The jade pages said. I'll do it. I'll take it. Give me the mantle. Quinn answered over a whistling. The pipes in the walls were bursting and the water in them boiled out in thick gouts of steam from the cracks in the ceiling. Then everything stopped. For one heartbeat the whole room sat immobile and calm until the book hit its breaking point. It collapsed in on itself as if gravity was suddenly erupting from within its spine. And in a blink, it pulled Quinn into it. In that brief instant, he felt the heat sear the skin from his face. And everything went white. And thus, the story is ended. The tale told the chapter closed. Mortis Maledictum is brought to you by the Malusai. Written by Devin McCamey. Narrated by Jeremiah John. Additional voice acting by Vidi St. Martin. Sound design by Lawrence Lyons. And original artwork by Brandon McCamey. Thank you for listening. This twisted tale was created by an Apollo Plus creator. Apollo Plus is a subscription that lets you listen to your favorite audio fiction series with no ad interruptions while supporting your favorite fiction and horror creators. Shows on Apollo Plus have no ads. They grant early access to new content, offer exclusive episodes and behind-the-scenes clips, season supercuts, and more. And the collection of shows is always growing. 70% of the revenue goes to the creators you love and helps them make their next audio adventure possible. You can support dozens of creators with one subscription. So join Apollo Plus today by downloading the Apollo Podcast app for iOS and Android or by visiting apollopods.com. But don't think 
that you can escape the horrors.